Mitzi Hunter would like to be the next Premier of the province of Ontario, and she may well get that chance. Mitzi is a Liberal member of Provincial Parliament representing a Toronto-area riding, and she's one of six candidates vying for the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party, which culminates with the party convention in March. Mitzi says she comes to the table with experience in facing off against the current Premier. It's a tremendous honour any time you get the chance to step up to lead. And, you know, after the 2018 election, which was a devastating loss for the Ontario Liberal Party, and, you know, I was one of only seven Liberals that held her seat and um, and really found myself in that position to go toe-to-toe with Doug Ford in the legislature. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm just... Uh, just absolutely thrilled and amazed at this incredible province that we have and the opportunity to lead and to serve as as leader of the party and uh, and potentially the next premier of this province. Mitzi served in cabinet posts within the government of then-premier Kathleen Wynne, which included in 2016, becoming the first person of colour to hold the role of Minister of Education in Ontario. And I think that was an important um, opportunity for students uh, to see. You know, I used to often say to them, if you see me, you can be me. And to really inspire young people to um, to aim for whatever they want in this province. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Mitzi tells us about her entry into politics through a 2013 by-election. She talks about some of her past non-profit work with Goodwill, Toronto Community Housing and Civic Action. And Mitzi reminisces about her time as a young Jamaican immigrant growing up just outside of Toronto. I still remember my my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Purden, because she used to help me get in and out of my snowsuit. And, um, and those were, those were uh, you know, important moments for me because it, it made me feel welcome um, here in Canada at a very early age. Ontario Member of Provincial Parliament Mitzi Hunter on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Today's a pretty exciting day here at Run It Like a Girl when we have the opportunity to speak with Ontario Member of Provincial Parliament for the Scarborough Guildwood Riding, Mitzi Hunter. Mitzi, thank you so much for joining us for an episode today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. One of the greatest things about Canada is how multicultural of a nation we are, and even greater so in the GTA. But, you know, when you're going back to the 70s, growing up in a rural part of of Ontario, in Durham, what was that experience like for you? Was it a multicultural environment? Well, you're definitely going way back, because I came to Canada just uh, around three and a half years old, and my family and I, we settled in Pickering, actually, in Durham region. Um, Back in those days, it was mostly farmland. Um, You know, where we lived, uh, there were a number of other families uh, who, you know, were doing the same thing that my parents were doing, which was really establishing a life in a new country. And uh, my parents, you know, growing up, my parents worked really hard. Um, The true immigrant story, my my dad had his own business. He ran... um, uh, a transport uh, company uh, drove trucks basically, and uh, and my mom worked uh, in in assembly for the auto parts manufacturing, and so um, you know with the lens of hard work, my brothers and I 
uh, we focused on education, and uh, and that's that's my memory of uh, coming to Canada and uh, growing up in Pickering. I still remember my my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Purden, because she used to help me get in and out of my snowsuit, and um, and those were those were uh, you know important moments for me because it it made me feel welcome. Um, here in Canada at a very early age. So politics wasn't your first career. You actually, you have your MBA from Rotman, and you ended up entering the political arena as part of a by-election. What made you decide to run for politics? Well, I did many things um, before entering politics. I started a, a company um, at a young age because it was in the middle of a recession, and uh, I just became an entrepreneur as a result. And uh, I then later um, entered the technology space. Uh, I worked um, in the information communications technology and really helped to promote that as, uh, as a, an important cluster in Ontario. And, um, and then I, I completely uh, changed um, careers and I went into charitable and nonprofit work. I, I worked at Goodwill Industries, um, helping people with disabilities to find work, and uh, and then also in the housing. Uh, so I worked at Toronto Community Housing and Social Housing, and just the importance of having affordable housing to create great neighborhoods and places for people to live. And uh, and then I had my dream job. I was the CEO of Civic Action, an organization that. I volunteered with for 10 years before becoming its full-time CEO, and it was all about how do we make um, the greater Toronto and Hamilton region a thriving place that had um, great transportation, recognizing the cost of gridlock um, on the region, and, and also environmentally, how do we reduce our carbon footprint by you know, being environmental stewards in, a, in a multiple ways, and how do we focus on the next generation of jobs by creating uh, work access for young people, many of whom were not in any training or education and really needed to uh, find their way. So Civic Action was a nonprofit organization that brought together corporate, community, and government to solve some of society's most difficult challenges. So while I was doing that, I, I got the call from the Liberal Party of Ontario asking me to run in a by-election in Scarborough. And, you know, by that point, my family had moved from Durham region to Scarborough, and, uh, and that's where I actually uh, went to high school, you know, had really come of age in that community. I I'd lived there, learned there. I went to U of T Scarborough campus. For my undergrad, and it was a place that I cared so deeply about, um, understanding its diversity, its complexity, and its incredible potential. So I said yes right away and uh, ran in the 2013 by-election and, um, and won the riding. So that's how I started my political career. It was really um, you know, on the basis of being a community advocate, working at the grassroots, really knowing my community, and, uh, and then stepping up for political leadership, because that's what I believe is important to really helping the most people in our communities. If you can 
be at the at the table where those decisions are made, you can, you know, have an impact. And I wanted to do that. I love that you said yes right away. I think that's pretty incredible. So uh, what I'd like to ask is, as you got into the race, did mentorship play a role in how you uh, handled yourself as a candidate? For sure. And, you know, all along as a community activist and someone that was out there trying to make a difference, um, you know, people would often say, oh, you should think of uh, running for office or think of politics. But it was mainly a suggestion. Um, the real serious ask is, here's a riding and run, you know? And uh, and so mentors along the way are, are people like Dr. Alvin Curling, who was a, a local politician in Scarborough, um, first um, Black uh, Canadian to be Speaker of the House uh, provincially. And uh, and he he actually invited me on to to serve on committees and to to contribute. And he sort of reinforced my leadership that way. Um, Jean Augustine, Dr. Jean Augustine, who was the first black woman um, to uh, to be an MP and to um, serve uh, as a cabinet minister um, federally. She also was very, very um, supportive and always, um, always giving advice, you know, and, uh, and, and making sure that she reinforced my leadership as well. Um, in the, the many different roles I've had in my careers, uh, there were other people like David Pico who, you know, as the chair of civic action, um, really wanted my voice at the table and said so very definitively, like your voice matters, you bring a difference that's important and we need to hear from you. Um, so I was actually the co-chair of the Emerging Leaders Network um, for Civic Action for seven years and uh, had an opportunity to also be a mentor myself and to champion other young leaders. Um, so it's a two-way street and uh, it's also important for people to recognize that there's a difference between mentorship and sponsorship, you know, and, and very much um, people like David Pico um, were sponsors. They, they would encourage me and, and invite me to take on leadership challenges and, uh, and really support that. And there were, you know, other um, leaders uh, in the various, uh, you know, I worked in business, of course, and in nonprofit and many of the, the leaders there Joan Green. Um, she was uh, a member of the uh, board that I, I reported to a while at Goodwill. Um, Jenny Benko, when I was at Bell Canada many years ago, was the vice president, gave me many opportunities to test leadership. And I think that that's what's really important here is to test your leadership and be given opportunities to do so. And that's, um, that's an important role that mentors and sponsors can play um, as well. So you need to be surrounded by people who, who, who give you an opportunity to try things and, um, and to support and encourage your leadership as you're, as you're making your way. So for people that might not understand the differences between mentorship and sponsorship, a mentor is really that person that you can go to for advice that will help you kind of form your path and figure out where you want to go and what is next. While a sponsor is someone that's really putting their own brand, their own name on the line to ensure you have an opportunity. So whether that's a promotion or a new challenge, they're at the table with the people 
people making those decisions, and they're advocating for you. Absolutely. And and it's important to know the difference and to cultivate those relationships, um, particularly with your sponsors, who, first of all, they're, they're the people who give you the hard truth. They give you uh, feedback. They let you know, um, you know, where you can improve. And, and also, you know, there, there was a, a gentleman um, uh, who really, you know, kind of challenged me in terms of how I saw my leadership and, uh, and, and, and really encouraging me to take on um, more senior roles and, and saying, you know what, you can do it. And if someone is, is offering you that senior responsibility, they will support you and they trust your leadership. So you need to as well. And, and that was, uh, you know, it was sort of one of those moments when, you know, you're getting sort of that inside um, support that says, hey, yeah, you can do this and, um, and really take on challenging positions and challenging roles because you have the ability. We see it and, um, and we believe in you. You've had some pretty big roles during your time as a member of provincial parliament, including as a cabinet minister under Premier Kathleen Wynne. Uh, one of your postings, of course, was as Minister of Education, a very large portfolio. I'd love to know how you handled the increase in responsibility and workload, as well as the varying public opinions around education. You know, being Minister of Education uh, is a tremendous honor. It really gives you the lens of the province through the eyes of, of our future, our, our young people. And so, um, you know, I, I really felt that was a privilege. I made a commitment early on that I would visit one school every week because I wanted to be in the classrooms where our educators were, our students were, and to really see the system and how it was working. And, and so that gave me an opportunity to travel the province. Uh, I, I visited several times the far north, um, making sure that uh, students were getting what they needed. I wanted to make sure that our education system was providing excellence across the province, regardless of where students lived. Uh, I noticed, for instance, that in the north, we needed to make more investments uh, for to support uh, students in the area of mental health support and, uh, and additional resources. So, you know, provided those resources quite early on, uh, championing things like uh, learning disabilities and uh, students who had severe learning disabilities. I believed that we could provide those supports closer to home to where students lived, in addition to learning from the centers of excellences in our demonstration schools. So making sure that there was additional funding uh, for those uh, programs in school boards and seeing the wonderful transformation that occurred when students have the supports that they need to learn. Everyone can learn. They need to be given the support uh, to get there. And when there are challenging situations in our school, um, you know, I, I, I definitely saw that uh, when it came to the area of equity in education and, you know, led the creation of a, an equity in education action plan that allows school boards to really tackle those very, very tough differences that sometimes arise. And I believe that students should have access to the best education, regardless of their background, regardless of income, regardless of circumstance, 
Um, and that includes racialized students. It includes students with disabilities, um, LGBTQ students, uh, indigenous students and learners. Everyone needs a fair uh, chance at a great education. And our system, I believe, has to change to support the students because every student can learn. And, uh, and we have amazing educators, our teachers, our EAs, our support workers, administration, our system of education in this province is amongst the best in the world. I had an opportunity to serve as minister, the first person of color, in fact, to serve as minister of education in the province's history. And I think that was an important um, opportunity for students uh, to see. You know, I used to often say to them, if you see me, you can be me. And to really inspire young people to um, to aim for whatever they want in this province. And, you know, we have some very challenging uh, times ahead when it comes to things like climate change, uh, a changing economy, when you look at automation and AI and disruption. But when we look at our school system, we can find hope because we know that the young people of this province are learning and getting the education that they need to solve the complex challenges of the future. And, uh, and we can have confidence that that's, that's going to be the case. Well, I love what you said. If you, if you see me, you can be me. I think, I think that's such an important thing for, for youth to be able to see people like them doing remarkable things to understand that, that they too can, you know, can set out to do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and you've now put your, your name, uh, your name in for the upcoming Ontario Liberal Leadership Race. I'd love to talk about that for a moment and how you kind of prepare yourself to handle the enormous responsibility that would come with winning the leadership. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a tremendous honor anytime you get the chance to step up to lead. And, you know, after the 2018 election, which was a devastating loss for the Ontario Liberal Party. And, you know, I was one of only seven Liberals that held her seat and, um, and really found myself in that position to go toe-to-toe with Doug Ford in the legislature. Um, you know, I remember when he canceled Canada Day, I said, absolutely no way, no one canceled Canada Day, brought it back to the grounds of Queen's Park, had a people's picnic, Thousands of people came down to enjoy that celebration. And so, you know, we are in, in a state right now where we're renewing our party. And it's an opportunity for us to listen to Ontarians and to hear what their priorities are and, and what they want to see in, in leadership. And I believe that with the background that I have, I've worked in business and nonprofit and community and also having served as a cabinet minister for very challenging portfolios, uh, as you mentioned, in education, but also associate finance minister, putting together the Ontario Retirement Retirement Pension Plan that led to CPP expansion, 50% increase in benefits for all working Canadians in the future. And, you know, those types of um, experiences really matter when it comes to leading the province, leading the party. And so I am stepping up to be the change that we need in our party and in our province, and I'm running to lead. So the race is on right now, and uh, I am going across the province. Uh, my commitment is to visit or touch every single riding in this province by the convention in March of uh, 2020, 
and um, and that's it's a tremendous honor to talk to our liberal family. We're having a family conversation right now about the future of this party. How do we create a party that is truly reflective of of our of our capacity as liberals, a more modern, inclusive party, and a party that represents change in this province? And um, of course, uh, it's requiring hard work, but that's you know something that I'm very used to. I learned that from my parents. And uh, and and I'm I'm just uh, just absolutely thrilled and amazed at this incredible province that we have and the opportunity to lead and to serve as as leader of the party and uh, and potentially the next premier of this province. Well, I cannot wait to see uh, to see this happen for you. Um, and and you know, if you're ever when you when you make your way down to Hastings County, uh, my mother in law is a huge supporter of the Liberal Party and has helped manage uh, a few of the campaigns down here for the um, the the people that have been running. So uh, I'm sure she will be so thrilled to have you in this area. <laughs> well, Bonnie, I I look forward to having a chat with her. Uh, you know, I I've uh, I've actually been through through the area. Um, in the fall, and I, I absolutely commit to being back. And my commitment to visit uh, the 124 ridings is not just for the leadership, but uh, but an ongoing one. And if I become the leader of the party, I will, in fact, uh, visit those ridings twice before the next election in 2022. Because I believe that leaders have to listen. We have to lean into that, and uh, and we have to then, of course be prepared to take action. And, uh, and that's what I'm known for. And uh, I really look forward to sitting down and having a chat with your mom. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so one more question I'd love to ask you, and that's really, if you could go back in time to the beginning of your career or when you were just starting university, whatever kind of focal point you would like to select and sit down and have coffee with a younger version of you, what would you say to yourself and what would that conversation look like? Be bold. Be absolutely bold and absolutely fearless. The world needs you. The, the ideas that you have and, and the imagination, do them. Do them bigger. Do them faster if you can. But be bold. That's what I would say to her. So that kind of brings us to the end of the formal podcast questions. And, and now we have something and it's called the fast three. Um, and I always joke that it's basically my way of getting a great uh, reading list or, or information source, but um, there's just three questions I'd love to ask you and just to kind of get your answers and, and hear what you say. Um, the first is what's your favorite podcast or source of information? Ontario Loud, um, I, I love uh, listening to it because a number of my former staff from the Ministry of Education have sort of taken this on and, and really commenting on um, how the current uh, Ford government is, uh, is impacting Ontarians, whether it comes to education um, or even just the tone that's being set in our provincial parliament. So, I, I kind of tune into that to get sort of that um, that perspective that uh, that they're seeing on the government because you know I'm I'm in the chamber I'm you know having these these uh, debates across the aisle going toe to toe with Premier Doug Ford and his and his ministers but this is an opportunity to see how people are reading that um, as as things are are moving through our parliament. And what are you currently reading? Well, I've actually just read Talking to Strangers uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I really enjoy his, 
pithy style of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of writing and commenting. And he actually, um, I, I actually listened to the audiobook because I'm on the road so much and um, traveling the province. And, and he combined an interesting podcast style with this audiobook. So I found that a, a really interesting read. And who is currently inspiring you? Michelle Obama. <laughs> I've seen her twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've read her book, Becoming. And her authenticity, I think, is just really great in a space where sometimes people see politics as negative and uh, and in some instances combative. That authenticity really cuts through. And, uh, and I just really enjoy uh, listening to her ref- refreshing take on things and uh, an honest look at what's happening. Well, thank you so much for your answers and thank you for joining us. I'm just so thrilled. That brings us to the end of the episode. Um, so best of luck in your, in your journey over the next uh, several months. And I cannot wait um, to see what happens. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. The producer is Brian Long, with technical assistance from Dan Moak, and music by the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Megan Hanachek of Port McNeil on Vancouver Island survived 78 days in the South American wilderness while competing on the History Channel's reality TV series Alone. On top of being a survivalist, Megan has many other talents. She's a biologist and forester, a fitness trainer, marathon runner, photographer, speaker, writer, and mother. Megan Hanacek on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.